Hello, and welcome to this message from Calvary Albuquerque. We're excited to hear from our special guest speaker, Al Pittman, Senior Pastor of Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, where he seeks to make the hope of Christ known to the world. We pray that God uses this message to breathe new life into your relationship with him. If he does, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can give online securely at calvaryabq.org slash giving. We invite you to open up your Bibles to Joel chapter 2 as Pastor Al begins the message, Journey to Restoration. Well, God is so good. And I want to talk to you today about restoration. And I've entitled this message, A Journey uh, to Restoration. And I'm taking for my text uh, the book of Joel, or not the whole book, but just chapter 2, verses 1 to 27. And uh, I want to share that with you today and pray that God would speak to your heart. If God is, is anything, he is a God of restoration. Aren't you glad about that? That he is a God who restores us. And uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about that uh, uh, today and um, share with you. And I pray that if you're here today, you feel hopeless. Uh, you're going through a time where you feel like it's all over or whatever. Listen, there's a God who's able to restore to you. Uh, even the years, as we'll see, that the locusts uh, have eaten. And so I pray that the Lord will bless you. But let's, let's start with a song, all right? Uh, you may remember this song. You sing along with me. I see the Lord seated on the throne, exalted, and the train of His robe. Fills the temple with glory, and the whole earth is filled, and the whole earth is filled, and the whole earth is filled with His glory. Sing holy, 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 holy is the Lord. Sing holy, holy, holy. Father, we declare you are holy today. You are holy in this place, and we're here to exalt you, Lord. No flesh, no man, but exalt our King of kings and Lord of lords. Bless now your word, Father, as it goes forth. May it accomplish your divine purpose and will, and not return to you void. We ask it all in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, Joel chapter 2. Verses 1 to 27, as we look at 
our text uh, today. We're going to talk about restoration, as I mentioned, and and uh, the fact that our God is a God of restoration. Now, some of you know the background to the book of Joel, and and God is calling Judah, southern Israel, back to repentance and and to restoration, and and they're resisting the Lord. In fact, many of you know the history of of uh, southern Judah of Israel, how they resisted God. Even here, they did not ex- embrace the message of Joel and his word uh, from the Lord to his people for restoration. Uh, but God is is always. His hands are stretched out still, always uh, welcoming us to come back to him in restoration. And so the Lord gives them kind of a, an outline of how to come back to him in restoration. And I believe it's an outline even for us today as we consider uh, the, the, the topic of restoration, how the Lord invites us to come back to him. Now, maybe you're in a place where you're, you're doing just fine. God bless you. Amen. We don't like you, but God bless you. But um, no, I'm teasing. But, uh, but maybe you're in a place where you need, man, you need a word of restoration you need to understand or be reminded that god is able to do above and beyond what we could ask or think and i pray that you would hear that today but the first thing that i find in this in joel's message to uh to judah uh for restoration to take place there must first be a a sense of urgency a sense of urgency within your life. Uh, uh, a lot of times uh, we want God to touch us and to change us, but there's no urgency. In fact, that I would say that one of the de- devil's favorite words is tomorrow. Tomorrow. It all, I'll change tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll surrender to the Lord. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll surrender because tonight I got to go party, you know. <laughs> tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. But the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Do not harden your heart unto the Lord as you did in the day of rebellion, but to turn to the Lord. And so, you know, rather than waiting tomorrow, God tells the people of Israel here, the people of Judah here, he says, this is an urgent matter, something you need to take heed to right now. And many times God will allow circumstances, situations in our lives to bring us to a place of urgency. Amen. And Lord, you've got my attention. I'm sitting right up. I just, you know, I walked away from that car accident or or my spouse walked out on me or whatever it might be. Or the doctor said, I had an incurable disease, whatever. You've got my attention now. Amen. And God will allow us sometimes to go through times like that in order to gain our attention, to show us there's an urgency. And there's always an urgency in regards to sin. Never take sin for granted. There's an urgency in regards to sin. And so God is calling his people, uh, giving him, issuing an urgent call here for them to return to him. Now, in verses 1 to 11, talks about that urgent call and what it means. And we won't go into the details of it because it would, you know, we don't have enough time. But, but verse 1 sets the tone. As the Lord says, blow the trumpet in Zion and, and sound a, an alarm in my holy mountain. He's speaking of the temple, speaking of the, the holy mountain, the temple in Jerusalem, where God would reveal himself or would speak to his people from Jerusalem, from the holy temple. And he said, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. And he says, for it is at hand. You, you've run out of time. No, no more time for playing games. God is saying, I'm speaking to my people. Now, now is the time to take heed to the word of God. In fact, the Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 2, verse 2, that it's important when God speaks that we hear him, that we listen to his word, we take heed to his word. He honors his word even above his name, the Bible says. And so the Bible tells us in Malachi chapter 2, it says, uh, verse 2, it says, If you will not hear and if you will not take, to it, take it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you. And I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not take it to heart. 
When you do not take the word of God to heart, no matter what's, how, what kind of prosperity you may experience in your life, your life is not right. Until we take heed to the word of God, because God honors those who honor him, we cannot truly be blessed. And so God's calling his people. Listen, this is an urgent thing. When you hear my voice, you hear my word, you need to respond. You need to respond and take it to heart. And we need to take it to heart when God speaks to us as well today. And here's the second thing that I find, again, in verses 1 to 11, you know, he describes kind of the urgency of the hour and all of that, uh, that he is bringing about this judgment upon his people, that they need to pay attention and repent. And the precursor to the judgment uh, of the Babylonians coming to judge them was the, the plague of locusts that had eaten up all the vegetation of the land. And God is basically saying, I'm warning you, God in love always warns us before he sends that, fi- that final judgment. And he's warning his people through the plague of locusts that a worse infestation by the Babylonian army is coming upon Judah unless you repent. And so he speaks about that in verses 1 to 11. But in verse 12, he reveals to us the second step, if you will, in our journey to restoration, which is brokenness. Brokenness. In verse 12, he says, But therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. There's no such thing as a half-hearted relationship with the Lord. God wants all of our heart. He says, turn to me with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering. In other words, the Lord is saying, come to me, turn to me with all of your heart so that I can bless you. My, my purpose for you is to give you a future and a hope, as it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. My purpose is not to beat you up and to judge you. A lot of people won't even come to church because they think, well, God's just going to beat me up. That's not why he sent the Savior. Jesus said, I came not to condemn the world, but that the world through me can be saved. He came for those who were sick, those who needed a physician. He came for people the likes of me and the likes of you. We needed a Savior. And so he didn't, but he didn't come to condemn us, to beat us up, to beat the world up. He comes to bring us mercy and grace. He comes to bring us graciousness and mercy. And according to verse 13, God is slow to anger. He's patient with us. And he's came to reveal to us the great kindness of our God. So that he might bless our lives. Verse 14 said, God wants to leave a blessing behind. He doesn't want to leave a legacy in your life of judgment. But a blessing that you might be a praise and, and, and give glory to God. That's what it means when it says here that, and that God says that he might leave behind a blessing, a grain offering and drink offering. Those were used in the worship of the Lord. And so he wants us, our lives to be to the praise and to the glory of God. He wants to leave a blessing behind, not judgment. Joel said, the Lord may relent. Oh, if we would just simply rent our hearts and rend our hearts, rather, rend our hearts before the Lord, God would relent. In other words, God would turn that judgment away from us if we would turn to him. He has not designed us to be disciplined. In other words, God doesn't want to spank your behind. Amen. I mean, you don't want, you don't wake up in the morning and go, where are the kids at? I just want to beat one of them down. Hey. Junior, come in here. Ah, you know, that's not why you had them. That's not why you, you've got the, the best in store for them. You save for their college and all that. And, you know, if, but sometimes you spend that college fund, but that's another sermon. But, <laughs> amen. 
but, but you save them because you want them to experience the best. You don't want to give them the best. You want to bless them. And God is saying, I don't want to spank you. That's not why I created you. I want to bless you. I want to leave a blessing behind. But he says, you got to, in order to experience that, you've got to rend your heart, not your garments. What does it mean by that? Well, he's talking about the religious uh, acts that many of the people uh, in the ancient times and in Jesus' day, and, and some probably still practice it today in some Orthodox cir- circles, Jewish Orthodox circles, uh, of tearing their clothes when they're, when they're f- feeling great remorse or they're sad or sorrow or, to, you know, to show their remorse and to tear their garments. And, of course, my way my mind works, always you know, sense of humor is like, man, it'd be nice to have a, a clothing business back in uh, the days of Jesus, you know, people tearing their clothes. Hey, Joe, third time this week need another suit you know or whatever of course that'd be hard to do back in the 70s because everything was polyester amen you imagine "Eh, eh, eh." (laughs) trying to rend that polyester shirt with the wide lapels you know it wouldn't work so good but they would tear their clothing god is saying listen i don't want your religion i don't want your outward show of emotion i don't want your crocodile tears i want transformation Tear your heart, God's looking for torn hearts. Men look on the outward things, but God looks upon the heart. Rend your heart. You know, I, I love that, that show on television about renovating houses and all that, and you know, because I, I can't fix nothing. I can screw in light bulbs. Well, beyond that, I'm kind of helpless. I'm, I'm all thumbs, and you know, my wife sees me put on the tool belt, she dials 911. <laughs> Might as well just get them here ahead of time. And, um, you know, just, I, I'm not good at it, but I watch these guys and I go, oh man, it's so neat to watch them go and take a kitchen, just remodel it. And what do they do in order to build a new kitchen? What do they do? They got to destroy the old one. When God comes in to renovate, he, he, he comes in to knock down the old stuff that he might create something new. And these guys, when they go in there to renovate a house or whatever, they don't just go in and throw on some wallpaper or, or a fresh coat of paint and say, ah, right, that looks good. And God's not here today to, to, to just put another fresh coat of paint on your religiosity or to put some wallpaper over your sins or whatever. He's here to renovate. He's here to re- restore your life and to bring you into the right relationship with him. But these guys, they'll start tearing stuff apart. And you know what happened? They'll start tearing things apart and they will discover the former contractors, let's call it indiscretions. Amen. Some of you contractors know what I'm talking about. Who wired this? Who did this plumbing job? They must have put this in at 4.59 just before beer o'clock, you know. Some of you contract guys know what I'm talking about, beer o'clock. This was done on a Friday late in the afternoon because these guys really didn't care how they did. Sloppy, shoddy work. And they pulled back the sheetrock to reveal the mold or to reveal the bad wiring or the bad plumbing. They don't just, you know, paint over it. Well, God is here today to do the same thing in our hearts. He pulls back the sheetrock. Oh, no, I just want, just give me a fresh coat of a sermon. No, uh uh-uh. God says, I'm pulling back the sheetrock of your life. I'm going to reveal to you the spiritual mold in your heart so that I can restore you, that I can renew you. I want to give you a new heart, a new mind through restoration. And so God does that by the power of his Holy Spirit. And David said in Psalm 51, verse 6, he said, Behold, Lord, you desire a truth. Where? In the inward parts and in the hidden part. 
you will make me to know wisdom. God wants truth to be an inward part. Truth is the, his word is the disinfectant for the spiritual mold in our hearts. That's the way we get exposing that mold, if you will, to the light of God's truth. And God will wound us many times, but he does it that he might heal us. And here's the other thing for the reason for brokenness here is, is that we might be exposed as we, as we repent. Simultaneously, we're exposed again in verse 13 to the graciousness, the graciousness and the, the, mercy, the mercy of God, the, the, uh, God's patience toward us, his great kindness. It's like a, the simultaneous thing that happens, you know, when you confess your sin, God reveals his benevolence to you. And the reason God calls us to brokenness also is not only that we might know his benevolence, but the fact is, God can only use broken things. God can only use broken hearts. Hearts that are humble before him. There was a revivalist, an author by the name of Dr. Vance Havner, who once said, and I quote, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is Peter weeping bitterly who returns to great power than ever. Close quote. And it's so true that broken heart God can use. God uses broken people. Why? Because broken people are humble. And he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God uses broken people. He bestows upon our brokenness his grace and his mercy, his patience and his kindness. Here's the third step I find in restoration is that there has to be an urgency in my life. There has to be a brokenness in my life. And it also has to be, I have to come to a point of surrender. And this is what he speaks about here in verses 15 to 17. As he says, blow the trumpet in Zion. There there again, this is an urgent matter. Consecrate a fast and call a sacred assembly. Call the people together. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders and gather the children, the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests, verse 17, who minister to the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Underline that if it's not underlined or highlighted in your Bible. Weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach. Lord, don't give us to our enemies that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among these the peoples, where is their God? See, God doesn't want to set us up for failure. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to, to be a people uh, uh, that is that we reveal, that, that through our lives is revealed how great our God is. Now, I'm not talking about how much money you have in the bank or anything like that, but the greatness of God's mercy and grace toward us. The greatness of who he is, not who we are. Amen? And so, so God is calling his people to surrender. Call the whole nation, the babies and the bride and the bridegroom. Break up the honeymoon, whatever, you know. Everybody, this is an urgent matter. Come and you priests, I want you to cry out to God between the, the altar and the porch. Now that phrase is very important because between the altar and the porch was a place that the priest would lay prostrate before God. It was also, listen, a place of mercy and grace, God's mercy and grace or God's atonement. I'll show you here in just a moment. 
And here's the idea. The idea, God says, this is where I want you to call out to me from between the altar and the porch. Why? Because you can't fix yourself. I want you to surrender to my grace and my mercy. You can't fix yourself up. You can't restore yourself. You have to come and lay prostrate before me. Be utterly, completely dependent upon my ability to restore you. Amen. That's what he's calling them to do. Between the porch and the altar is a place of atonement. I want you to look at Leviticus with me. Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus chapter 16, uh, the Lord is giving instructions to, to Moses concerning the atonement to be made for the, the uh, people of Israel. And um, he says this is what Aaron should do. Aaron should take a couple of goats and, and, and use them for the atonement of Israel. And in this particular uh, ceremony, it represented God's forgiveness for Israel. These two goats, but I just want to read it to you uh, because everything that is done in the tabernacle, even a study of the tabernacle, those of you who study the tabernacle, it all points to Jesus. All of the the, uh, the the celebrations, all they all point to Jesus. And this uh, sacrament, if you will, or this uh, this um, uh, celebration here, or 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 order, religious act here, I should say, I'll get it right is really an, an illustration of the work of the cross. That for us as believers today, if we are going to indeed be restored, there's only one place we can be restored, and that is through the atonement of Jesus Christ. It is not through our ability, but it's through His grace, His mercy, His atonement. So in verse 7 of chapter 16, we read, and God speaking uh, uh, to about Aaron and uh, the priest, He says, He, that is Aaron, the high priest shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The door of the tabernacle of meeting between the, if you will, the, the altar and the, and the, and the porch. And he said, he says here, then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats and one lot for the, the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. You ever wonder where that phrase comes from? Some people say, oh, I'm just a scapegoat. Well, you're just like Jesus. The scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. Again, this is a picture of Christ. Offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as a scape as a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now, I, I love the way he says here, and the scapegoat shall be presented alive to the Lord. And then I'm reminded of what Jesus told Mary when she clung to him after the resurrection. He said, he said don't cling to me. He said, I still have to go to, to before my father. To make a presentation before the father, I think it was because for our atonement. He, you know, he was going to present himself alive before the father. As an act of atonement. And then in verse 20, verse 16, he says, And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, that is Aaron, the priest had made it, uh, uh, an end uh, of atoning for the holy place in the tabernacle meeting and the altar, he shall bring the, the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat 
and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man, and the goat shall bear all on itself all their iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. You see the work of the cross there? That Jesus Christ is not only our Savior, our sin offering, but he is also our scapegoat in the sense that he not only died for your sins as an offering, but he removes your sin from you into the wilderness as far as the east is from the west to never come back to you again. In this place between the altar and between the porch is a place of atonement. Only in the atonement of Christ can we be truly restored in a right relationship with God. This is the atoning work of the cross that he speaks about here in the book of Leviticus. And, of course, rabbinical tradition, many of you know, uh, has it that the uh, suitable man who led the goat away from the camp as a sign of God's forgiveness and would lead the goat out, that the, the man would actually lead the goat to a, maybe a, conveniently to a, a steep cliff and then kind of, boom, kick the goat off the, to the cliff. and So the goat would die. So they would not return back to the tabernacle, to the camp of Israel. Because that would be a sign of the sins coming back. But Jesus died for our sins. In him there is restoration because only in him can our sins be completely and totally removed. Amen? Oh, that's good stuff. Now that's why I disagree with those who say uh, you can lose your salvation. Don't get mad at me. Because in order for you to lose your salvation, the goat's got to come back into camp. Amen? And the goat is no more. The goat is not coming back. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. As our atonement forever. And then John says in 1 John chapter 3 verse 5. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. Our sin offering. And in him there is no sin. In him. There is no sin. Isn't that great? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The point that I'm making here to you is that our our, our restoration can be fully experienced only through the atoning work of Christ. And, And metaphorically speaking, between the altar and the porch. Where God meets us in atonement and forgives and washes away our sins forever. Amen. Now there are benefits to that as we go back to Joel. In Joel verses 18 to 27, we're going to fly through them here, but there are four benefits that I want us to recognize real quick as a result of that, as a result of what? The result of them responding to the urgent message, being broken before God, rending their hearts, and coming and surrendering to, to God's sovereignty and God's grace. As a result of that, we're brought into a right relationship with God. Israel, Judah at this time was brought into a right relationship with God, but of course we know they resisted the Lord. But this is what God promises. He says, then, in verse 18, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. God says, I will bring you into a right relationship. You say, well, where does it say relationship here? 
When he speaks about the grain, the new wine, and the oil, he's speaking about the word. He's speaking about the bread, the grain. Of course, they made the, would, would make little cakes and make the, an offering to the Lord with the, the grain. And then the, the new wine spoke of joy in the sense that it was a, it was a sweet wine, the first harvest of the grapes, you know, in, in, the, in that particular year, the, the, in, in the first year of that harvest. And, and uh, it was called the sweet wine or the new wine. It spoke of joy and prosperity. And then the oil was the oil that they used to anoint kings and priests and the oil spoke of the anointing of God or the very presence of God and of course the oil was used in the, the uh, lamps in the temple to light the temple to, to light the, the, uh, the lamps the lampstand in the temple so it represented the, the anointing of God and, and the presence of God and so when God says I will bring back to you guys I know you've been ravaged I know it looks like your life is over but I'll bring you back the grain my word I'll bring you back my joy I'll bring you back my presence into your life you don't have to be estranged from me any longer and then he also said i will deliver you from your enemies verse 20 he says but i will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face toward the eastern sea that is the dead sea and his back toward the western sea which is the mediterranean sea his stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things i will bring the judgment that is coming on you i will bring it back onto your enemies I will deliver you from your enemies. The Babylonians that are coming, they will turn tail and run with their face toward the Dead Sea and their backs to the Mediterranean running for their lives. promise that God gives to us is in restoration. He will be our defense, that he will defeat our enemies. He will stand up for us. He will be a refuge for us. And the third benefit that I find here is God says you don't have to walk in fear any longer, but you can walk in fruitfulness. Oh, when you're, when you're restored back to the Lord, the fruitfulness comes back to your life. God brings restoration of fruitfulness and delivers us from fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear. And he tells them here in verse 21, he says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. And do not be afraid, you beast of the field, even you livestock. For the open pastures are springing up and the tree bears its fruit and the fig tree and the vine, you know, their strength and, and be glad you children of Zion and rejoice in the Lord your God for he has given you the former rain faithfully and he will cause the rain to come down. He's speaking about prosperity here, blessing here. The former rain, the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floors shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. God says, I want to bless your life. And again, I'm not talking about cars and homes and, and those things are wonderful or whatever, but God, oh, the joy of the Lord when it overflows in your heart, man, you might have a nickel in the bank, but you have joy. I've been to places in Kenya, been to Mathari Valley. That's not a boast. That's just simply to tell you, I've seen people, you think poverty, you've seen poverty, you haven't seen poverty until you go to the Mathari Valley, one of the world's largest slums, people who live in a 10 by 10 room, and you've probably got eight people in live, living in there. There's no bathroom. There's a little fire to cook, maybe a little heating u- a unit that they can cook on or whatever. And yet I've found believers in Mathari Valley with nothing with more joy than many believers in America. And it's because of their right relationship with God. This is the, the excitement or the joy, the fruitfulness that God wants to bring back to our lives. Doesn't matter what our situation is. And then lastly, the fourth benefit is recovery. Hallelujah. Right relationship with God, deliverance, fruitfulness, and lastly, recovery. Verses 20. 
5 to 27, so I will restore to you the years. I will restore to you the years that the locust, swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. You know, God says, I've used this to discipline you, but I will restore even that which has been taken from you through my discipline. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Those who trust in the Lord shall not be put to shame. And then, when? When something good comes out of nothing in my life. When beauty is created out of the ashes of my own actions. When everybody has given up on me, and yet God has not given up on me, then, he said, then, he says, you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and I am the Lord your God, and there is nobody else. Amen. And my people shall never be put to shame. Folks, that's a good word. That's a good word. God says, I'm going to give you the years the locusts have eaten. Listen, (laughs) I had a birthday last month. I turned 39 years old. And, uh, okay, I can't lie. I'm, I'm 59, and my wife is 39. But sometimes you start thinking, feeling sorry for yourself. Oh, my better years are behind me. No, with heaven before you, the best is always yet to come. Heaven is still before us, amen. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. God can restore the years even that you've wasted. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You know, you can't do anything about yesterday, but you can start right now. Today is the first day of the rest of your life in Christ. Always because of his great mercy and his grace toward us. God can recover all of that. Doesn't mean that, you know, that your spouse may come back to you or, or all of this and, you know, but God can still use all things. Romans 8, 28, if you will turn to him, he works all things out for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And God is calling you today. But you will know that he is, that he is God and there is no other God. When God creates something beautiful out of ashes and God does something wonderful, does something out of nothing in my life. In other words, folks, we bring nothing to him. Now imagine the children of Judah. They're looking at the ravaged land by the locusts. Locusts have eaten up everything. They're looking at this going, man, there's no way. God says, yes, even what you're looking at, the devastation you're looking at, don't focus on that because I'm a God who's able to speak into existence things that don't even exist. Don't listen to the news reports. Don't listen to what your friends are saying. Don't listen to your own estimation of yourself. He's able to restore you. If you listen to him and trust in his word, amen. Amen. Thank God that he's the God of the impossible. What's impossible for man is still possible for God. He's a God of recovery. You know, we, we love Albuquerque. Not because of Albuquerque, but because of you. We love the fact that Linda and Skip embraced us and... Welcomed us as family and you embraced us and man you people still pray for us still come by visit us sometimes Up at the church, you know, they'll come to Colorado Springs some of you and have stopped by to say hi And we have a love relationship with you guys that will never end But the reason this place is so special to us is that God did a work of restoration You just don't know we got to Albuquerque Honey, you remember 
We didn't have groceries. We couldn't even have enough money to buy groceries. We believe God told us to come. We clung to his word. The devil was speaking in my left ear, just saying, you fool, what are you doing trusting God? I trust God and believe God didn't have a nickel in the bank. And we called the bank that one time where we came from. We were living in Olathe, Kansas, that's where we came from. And, and uh, you know, and we called the bank back there and they said, we had well over a thousand dollars in the bank. I said, honey, claim that. Get that wired like now. Well, maybe they made a mistake on the payroll. Well, that's their bad. Amen. I'm just saying. God blessed us a little money in the bank. Didn't have any groceries. And some of the folks on the worship team at that time came to our house, brought us groceries. He, he, and the devil said, oh, you're going to be living in your car and all this. And I, we had so many groceries, folks, we didn't have enough cupboard space for them. It was all on top of the counters and everywhere. Let me tell you, I'm going to tell you something. When God does something out of nothing, out of nothing, we had nothing. And then he, the church embraced us and skipped, took me to lunch one day and said, come on staff. And, and the rest of it is history. We were restored in this place. You'll always be dear to us. This will always be home for us. And then sent us back to, went back to Colorado Springs. Amen. Give God glory. Amen. Praise his name. But I share that story to say it doesn't matter what your situation is right now. That God in the midst of your situation, Pastor, I can't afford groceries. I'm in a bad situation. In the midst of that situation, in the midst of swarming and chewing locusts, God says, I'll do something brand new if you'll trust me. Amen. All right, two verses that I'm going to leave because I want to be able to come back. Psalm 107, verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. The hungry soul, longing for restoration. Psalm 3, verse 3 says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the lifter, the one who lifts my head. Amen. He's a God of restoration. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless this congregation. Thank you for their love and generosity. But I pray for that person today who may be in a place that is in desperate need of restoration. Would you speak to their heart right now? Help them to see that we have a God who has never given up on them and never will. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus, that they would open their heart to Jesus and surrender to you today. That they would say with their own lips from their heart, they would tear their hearts and say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Jesus, come into my life. I put my faith in you as my Lord and my Savior. This afternoon, come into my life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for being the God of restoration. Amen. God bless you all. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Albuquerque, featuring our guest speaker, Pastor Al Pittman. How will you live out what you learned from this message? Let us know. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And just a reminder, you can give financially to this work at calvaryabq.org giving. Thank you for joining us for this special teaching from Calvary Albuquerque.